And we were having a conversation on our podcast, and she said that AI is the camera for human imagination. And that immediately clicked it for me. Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. I feel like this next guest that I've got on became my best friend while I was talking to him on the show. So you probably guessed it. We talked about journaling towards the end of this. But we talked about his company, NFT Now. We talked about ChatGPT and dropping out of Harvard, how that made him feel and giving him the whole imposter syndrome and how he got over that growth. This is a deep conversation where it takes a lot of tangents. So follow along. You'll learn a lot about leadership, a lot about forgiveness and just being an overall more amazing person. Tune in as I talk to Alejandro Navia. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a Success Magazine podcast. And today I've got Alejandro Navia. Is that how you say it or is it Alejandro? Which one? No, it's Alejandro. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I am born and raised in Colombia and I, I love the sound of my name. And like anyone else, <laughs> I honor my roots. You know, I honor I the that. roots. You know, I actually correct people when they're like Alejandro, and I'm like, no, it's Alejandro. Alejandro, you know? <laughs> I love that. dude. I, I love what you said. I love the sound of my name. I like. I think we all do. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, it's really yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's start with your favorite book because I'm a, I'm a big reader, and the very first thing I noticed on your bio it says, "Favorite book, The Leader Who Had No Title" by Robin Sharma. Why? Yeah, man, I think that book was given to me by a really good friend when I was an undergrad. His name was Kyle Brodsky. Shout out to Kyle. He said, look, you're asking questions that this book may be good for you. This came from one of my mentors. It feels really good. This was in the summer of 2010. I was an undergrad at Harvard and it just opened up my world to service, right? It opened up my world to being extraordinary in a simple way right? That it was really about empowering yourself. And I think I was going through a, a victim mentality at the time because my parents were going through a divorce. You know, I really didn't know who I was. I was um, in some way, shape or form wearing many masks and things of that capacity. And this this book almost gave me permission, right? to To live an authentic and powerful life without titles, right? Without the need to be um, glorified or put on stage. And so when you just start living a life that is about leadership, it's about servanthood, and you start learning things in that capacity. So Robin Sharma has been a great author. I got introduced to him first time in 2010. And believe it or not, I had an interview with his team back in 2011. I used to DM him so much on Twitter because I loved it so much. This is, mind you, 2010, 2011, Twitter, DMing your favorite author was so simple. It was like super simple because he was like no one, very few people were on Twitter. And so uh, needless to say, I didn't get it. But the book really stuck with me. And um, I can't tell you that I remember all the lessons, but I remember the spirit of the book, 
right? Um, it's still one of my favorite books. Um, I actually have it in my bookshelf, readily accessible. And from time to time, I pick it up and I'm like, oh, yes, yes. And I, 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 I'm i a very avid reader. What I mean by that, I'm a very engaged reader. So I actually have a conversation with the author inside the book. So anytime I read something, I oh. question it. I put notes down. I'm like, what would the, why, why do you mean by this? Or what is this? What is that source of that? Like, I wonder what this came from, right? So I have a conversation or a dialogue with the um, with the author. It's not to say that I agree with everything in the book, right? Because I think uh, having independent thinking and independent thought is really important. And yeah. so when you open up my books, it's like a, it's a treasure trove of love notes to myself. And I go back and I'm like, wow, I was thinking that back then. Wow, that's really beautiful. I, I have come that far, right? So it's, it's really good to always take notes and always have dialogue with an author, even if you're not speaking to them directly. They're speaking with you and to you through their book. It's almost your responsibility to, to kind of have an intellectual discourse with them through through writing notes on the margins. Dude, I, I love that. And that's, that's actually how I read as well. So I, I love that you do that. Now, the other thing that's prominent, because I, I want to get into this trajectory, is when you look at who you are online, it also says you're a dropout of Harvard. And, yeah. And I feel that you wear that with a badge just from seeing it at different places. <laughs> so tell me tell me about that. Yeah, man. Um, look, uh, it wasn't always that way. Uh, there was actually, uh, there was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of embarrassment. Um because I, I was a, I got into Harvard through the extension school program and I got a special student status. It was a really awesome opportunity for me to get out of South Florida. And I saw this program and I was like, hey, let's take it. And then in 2011, I believe, or 2012, I don't remember the exact year, I was accused of plagiarism in my foreign policy class uh, through Turnitin.com. And it ended up being semantics right it ended up being that i didn't put the right thing on the quotations or the parentheses but it was in my bibliography i don't know whatever it was and at the same time there was this um this kind of like fiasco for lack of a better word where um, a significant portion of students got caught cheating um in the intro to congress class it actually made the news in new york times and things of that nature i think like uh, a significant portion i don't remember what it was so in the academic review process, things were being fast-tracked, right? Like imagine, like there was this thing. So I couldn't really defend myself. I put together my case, but then they said, hey, Ale, you know, you're gonna have to take a year off. Um, you know, we're gonna suspend you from taking on and you can come back after a year, but you know, the academic board really found you um, guilty. And I felt that I was rubber stamped at the time. Um, I don't come from money. You know, my parents are uh, middle-class workers. So like hiring an attorney or putting anything along those lines. And on top of that, they were in the midst of a divorce. So all this to say that there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, a lot of embarrassment. And I almost lived a level life, right? Sometimes I was telling people, oh yeah, I finished Harvard. I never said I graduated or, you know, there was very few people that knew their true story. Um, and it took me about five, six years to actually really garner the courage to speak that out loud um, and take ownership of it. Wow, man. Uh, what, what did you learn in that process to be able to, to embrace that so that 
I'm assuming that's been a, I'm assuming that that's a great lesson for building out other companies as well and working with other people. But what did you learn from that process in in using that in your personal life to grow in other places? That's a very interesting question, and um, I almost have a, a sense of forgiveness for myself, uh, first and foremost, you know, because I didn't know better, right? And at the time, uh, growing up in a survival mode, right, I have to survive. And you kind of start attaching yourself to external things that give you our, your identity meaning, right? And so many of us attach meaning to the schools that we went to, right? And that's okay. That's completely okay, right? But when you get to a level of Harvard, that means that there's a completely different level of echelon in that capacity. And so from that place, I was thinking that Harvard was going to be the silver bullet to life and things of that capacity when it ended up being the greatest lesson, right, for me to take ownership of my own identity, right? And I felt that people would judge me for the things that I did, right? And I felt that I was going to be outcasted and I felt that I was going to be rejected. And um, out of fear of rejection, out of fear of being outcasted, I suppressed that. And then lo and behold, when I started opening it up to friends, really close friends, they're like, oh, I love you just the same, if not more, right? I was like, oh, I'm welcomed. Oh, right. And for my, to provide you guys context, I think it's very important to go back to my adolescence. And I think um, I was bullied a lot in school, right? I was beat up. I was the kid who got jumped. And for no one who knows what getting jumped means, it means getting ambushed or punched without without notice right like actually almost that stuff so there would be moments where i'd be sitting in the bus and this guy would just punch me in the back of my head for no reason right or i would get out of the bus and like three or four kids would want to punch me i you know for one reason i i, I don't know you know uh in, in elementary school i was called peanut butter teeth because i had it stained in my teeth at the time what? you know like yeah so um, to provide you, I think that's important of that context of, you know, there was a lot of rejection and a lot of outcasting in my life when I first started. And so coming into that Harvard situation, I felt I finally had something that accepted me into this, into this world and then only to get rejected by it. Right. And so again, that, that level of that capacity. So I started really truly understanding the value that I had is within myself. I had to produce that. I had to nurture that from in, from inside of me. I know it sounds cliche, but cliches are cliches because there, there's truth in them. And the moment I started taking ownership of my actions and ownership of my responsibilities, and going back to my favorite book of leadership without a title, I started living an authentic life. And in my 20s, it was really, really challenging to do so because I was wearing so many different masks. And so finally, in my late 20s, I was like, this is it. No more. I'm going to live an honest, authentic and transparent life. And this is why on social media, I share very vulnerably. This is why um, I'm having this conversation with you in a very vulnerable state, but very being in my power. This is my story to tell. This is my story to own. And this is my medicine. Right. And I think that ownership is really important. And so what what did I learn about that is a the people who are going to love you are going to love you because of not in spite of who you are. Right. Number two, the second thing is the world actually celebrates those who think outside the box and thinks outside the systems. Right. And instead of trying to fit into the system. 
so much. I was rejected by systems because I'm meant to stand out. That took me 30 years to figure out, by the way. Right. That wasn't like a, like an overnight thing, you know? Um, and the third thing, I think actually the zero thing before all of those things is um, that with God, I can do anything. And uh, my faith got strengthened. You know, after I got kicked out of Harvard, I went to New York with $300 in my pocket. Then my friend that I was supposed to, um, I was supposed to crash with, didn't tell his roommates that I was crashing on his couch for three days. And I ended up having to sleep inside the subway while he held my bags for two days. And for six months, I was living off like dollar pizzas and the food that the restaurant that I worked at would give me in the family meal. But I knew that there was something greater for me. You know what I mean? And so that faith was conviction. The dollar pizzas aren't too bad in in New York. They're great, bro. Honestly, the one on Second Avenue and Fifth Street, that dollar pizza joint is the bomb. Okay. Shout out to the two. Cause they fed me. I'm not going to lie. They fed me. That's a fact. <laughs> you know, like they saw me every day and they were like, okay, I think sometimes they even threw me a slice or two knowing, I think they kind of knew that the news on the nuance. And so thank you so much to anybody who ever took care of me. Um, I really appreciate it. I love that, man. Well, you, you're mentioning the, the authenticity piece. And I think that that's, so key it's great that you learned that i think younger than some people we see out there that that still haven't learned that piece because you come into grips with your inadequacies and your mistakes right or or ones that seem to be mistakes to other people um is really just coming to grips with who you are and then accepting it and then moving on and then having that empower you and i don't know that a lot of people do that which is so cool to see that, man. Yeah, thank you, man. And um, if anybody's out there listening to this, like, it's very simple. It could be daunting, it could be scary, but it could also be the most empowering thing. Like, it's mm-hmm. absolute fulfillment to own your story, not let anybody else own own it. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. And I think the scariness just tells you that that's the way you need to go. It's like, oh, you know what? I think I need to do this. Question about NFTs, since, I mean, you do have NFT now, right? Yeah. I'll ask you what NFT now is, but first, how do you think, or maybe it won't, but how do you think chat GPT in this whole AI world disrupt NFTs at all? Do they? How does this work? Oh, yeah, 100%. I don't think they only disrupt it, they enhance it. Um but before we go, I think it's important to provide some credibility to the audience before we get into this. Um, I'm the co-founder and president of NFT Now. We are the largest and most trusted Web3 media company uh, that empowers creators of culture. And our mission is to bring NFTs from niche to mainstream. You know, we've, uh, we're an omni-channel media company. Uh, we do everything from digital media, content, editorial, video, social events. And uh, we really pride ourselves in being objective and truth-filled, you know, in a market full of noise and scams and things of that nature. We really are that signal and the noise. And we really take reputation and integrity at, at a very high value proposition from that perspective. And so uh, we're about we're about to turn two years old. Uh, you know, we are one of the few media companies in this space that uh, doesn't do programmatic advertising. You will never see a single banner on our website. 
Number two, we believe that um, privacy is a fundamental human right. So we do not have any cookies or uh, pixels. We do not track you. Uh, so that's why you're able to engage with our content very seamlessly. And we are actually trying to prove out a model that media companies don't need these antiquated methods of engagement and uh, audience building for reach versus really focusing on the retention model. How do we retain uh, our community, build it, nurture it? So the value proposition isn't about extracting value from the community, but rather bringing value to the community. So it becomes a two-way street. And uh, we've been successful at it. Um, and we're now in a stage of high growth trajectory. Um, the, co the community really loves us and we're looking now to expand and grow. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there for context as to my following statement on the AI. So people are not like, oh, what is Zeno, right? <laughs> yes, um, good point. So from that perspective, yeah, chat GPT and AI, I, I believe they're not only going to disrupt it. I think that word is very loosely used. I think it's going to enhance it, right? Um, there's this NFT artist that really changed my mind and changed my perspective of AI. And she's, uh, her name is Claire Silver. Uh, I absolutely love her work. Uh, full transparency. I am an owner of her artwork for that, for that matter. And we were having a conversation on our podcast and she said that AI is the camera for human imagination. And that immediately clicked it for me. Right. And so you have mid journey, Dolly, ChatGPT, things of this capacity that are really engaging and making it simple for ideas and ideation and creativity to foster in ways that haven't been done. So, so um, there's always this notion that says AI is going to replace your job. No, 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 no. My firm belief is the person who uses AI is going to replace your job. Right. It's a AI is a tool for human enhancement, right? So AI is going to take care of all the monotonous things that we no longer need to do, right? Tracking signatures, verifying numbers, looking at data, writing a first draft, right? Like making sure that you have the correct pitch, the right information, fact checking, things of that capacity are really going to go down the drain from that element. But now what you really want to do is like, how do you refine that? How do you define that and enhance that in a human capacity? Um, look, we're still very early in the AI days, right? Like even chat GPT isn't accurate. Sometimes the, it, fall, it creates things out of its own uh, capacity, like legal cases and things of that nature. There have been cases where they're like, this is inaccurate, right? So inaccuracies are still things, but most people don't know that we're, we are actually training the AI, right? So the more information, the more prompts you give it, the more things that you do, you're actually, they're in these training models, and the neural network now starts creating these connections. Again, it's about human enhancement, right? It's about enhancing human knowledge. It's about enhancing this capacity. What my stance on this is, is that this is going to bring an identity crisis to uh, mankind. And what do I mean by that? So many of us focus our identity on our jobs, right? What's the first thing most people ask you when you get introduced? Hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm an attorney at this. I'm an I'm a uh, I'm a clerk at that. I'm a founder of this. I'm the SVP of that. Um, right? We identify ourselves through our titles and through our jobs. Right? First and foremost, from a social conditioning perspective. The the thesis that I have, and this is just a hypothesis, is that. 
the moment that AI replaces the mundane, low-level task, and even maybe the middle management task, right? When we think about the layer of society, there's a lot of middle managers, right? There's very, very, there's a lot of these middle management that's going to be replaced, right? With individuals that can do the same job, but at 10x the leverage because they know how to utilize AI. So what's going to happen to an individual who no longer has a job that is part of their identity? What if somebody, right, when we think about large corporations, they train you for a very specific role, right? A lot of times, for example, um, I've heard this before, it could be inaccurate, but I've heard this from a friend. About five years ago, she was working at Amex and she was a she was a manager at Amex, but she was trained very her skill set was so particular to the Amex ecosystem that mm. for her to transition out of a role, there was no lateral or upward movement. She rather had to go somewhere where she an entry level job again because her role was so Amex specific, right? And you see this in a lot of corporations, right? You create these ecosystems. Yeah that are very specific roles to the things that happen inside that ecosystem. So what happens, if, what happens if that role it does no longer exist and your identity and your source of income and your source of life and your source of things that aren't happening? You're going to have an identity crisis, right? And we're starting to see that today with a lot of the mental health issues that we're having with social media, right? And so from that perspective, I'm always like, look, I'm not concerned about the people whose job it's going to replace because of the job. I'm concerned about it because of what's going to happen to their identities. Where do we find meaning? Where are we going to let these individuals know where meaning actually comes from? So there's an opportunity here for a lot of mental health advocacy. There's here, there's going to be a, a new advocacy for spirituality. There's going to be a new, a new level of entry point for psychedelics. There's going to be a new level of truth finding that we may not understand yet, that's gonna maybe and potentially unlock the next level of creativity for the human capacity. So coming back to this, I think it's important to understand history. When the camera first came out, every person had said, artists are done, self-portraits are done, right? We can now take a picture, 30 seconds, that was the narrative, right? The photo will replace the artist. What happened? The artist became more valuable in the long term. The ability to paint with a brush or sketch with a pencil became, oh my God, that's human made. Wow, that's handmade. Similarly, when you think about manufacturing, right? What's more, what's worth more? The handcrafted Birkin bag or the Michael Kors that just shipped out of a conveyor belt? Right? So we're going to start seeing the celebration of the human spirit. We're going to start seeing a renaissance in human creativity, a human ingenuity. But before that happens, we need to start addressing identity. We need to start letting people know who they are and empowering them to self-author. I think Robert Keegan uh, is a psychologist who has this uh, levels of adulthood that are really powerful. And he says like an adult reaching self-authoring is very rare. I think 30, I think less than 30% of the population ever enters self-authoring in that capacity. What does that mean? It means that your identity is no longer based on social responses, but rather it means that it means that your identity is based on be internal beliefs that you navigate those social uh, those social happenings, 
right? So instead of saying, I need to get that car, a self-authored individual says, I want that car because. So there's a difference. There's like, it's like, it's like a little nuances, right? So I think from that perspective, going back to those things, it's really, it's really incredible what fear, uncertainty, and doubt does, right? When in reality, I feel like this is going to unlock incredible amount of uh, creativity and this is going to bring on an, an the age of an identity crisis which has its own ups and downs on it and it has its own scammers it has its own things but it also has its own beauty that's a really good point that you make i think you, you also brought it up earlier when when you mentioned that the authentic self when you're going through that process identifying like what who, who am i really right am i my job or or what am I, right? What am I tied to that identifies who I am to myself? And so that we think ahead for those listening in, I mean, how do we do this? Because if people are having an identity crisis, because people are tied to what they do for a living, how do we shift that? Yeah, I think that's a really powerful question. I think that that question has been asked or what thousands of years of that question is as old as humans themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And we we see it from the teachings of everything from the Bible to Tao Te Ching, uh, the Taoist, you know, Buddhism, and Islam, Judaism, you know, like there's everyone has tried into some way, shape or form, help guide you into this concept of construct of identity. Um, but I think one of the most powerful questions that have been really liberating uh, for me, I think there's many, but a few of them that come to mind is, who am I becoming? What is my intention? And then what am I committed to, even when I don't feel like it? So again, there's many more questions that I ask myself, but those three are really powerful. Who am I becoming is a really powerful question. Yeah, it is. That's a very powerful dude. Imagine all of us asking ourselves that question daily, like, who am I becoming? Because then you reflect. It's like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What happened yesterday? What what am I planning today? Who am I becoming? It's a real powerful question. Yeah. The second one is, what is my intention? A lot of people are so focused on where they're going that they don't know where they're coming from. Right. A lot of times when we make an ask or when we desire something or we aim for something, ask yourself, what is my intention here? And my intention, intentions are really powerful, right? So when you come from a place of love, things tend to flow, right? When you come from a, a sense of achievement and you have a right map, you become incredibly successful, right? Like you know exactly where you're coming from, right? There's an old saying, chips on shoulders, put chips in pockets, right? And it's really like, so like understanding where someone is coming from can actually help you understand where they're going or their why, right? Mm. And then again, coming back to commitment, if you ask yourself, what am I committed to, even when I don't feel like it, it's a powerful question that actually provides you with so much freedom. They always say commitment is freedom, right? They always say discipline is freedom, but I really want to alter that and actually embrace it and say, commitment is the ultimate freedom. I'll give you the perfect example. I think I like when we look at our partners or our, our husbands, our wives, our, our our partners in our communities, when you're committed to them, you know, you have so much freedom to focus on something else. You're no longer focused on dating. You're no longer focused on going out. You know, you it brings a lot more freedom to your life. 
when you're committed to your health, it brings a significant amount of freedom in saying no to the things that don't align with you. When you're committed to the business that you're starting or you're committed to that path or you're committed to that hobby or that thing, you have intense clarity yet to say no to other things. But I think what is most important of that question, that part of it is, even when I don't feel like it, a lot of people confuse being interested with being committed. I'll say that one more time. A lot of people are confused with being interested with being committed. That's such a good phrase, man. I think I think most people are. And I think that comes also from the distraction of just doing, just living, right? Amen. And, and we're getting attacked. It's not, it's not, there's a war on our, on our, on our attention. There are probably what four platforms that I can think of that most people check before they even check in with themselves. <laughs> That's so true. It's like uh, Jim Quick. I was talking to Jim Quick. He's like, you know, you should really just check in with yourself first before you check other everything places. else. Yeah, man. And it's it's really like so many people really don't know the value of their energy and their attention, right? Attention is the only currency that matters. And this is why ever since we were kids, we've been told pay attention. Think about that statement. Pay attention. It's never, hey, focus on the homework. It's not, hey, you're distracted. Pay attention, right? And I think the epistemology of words and phrases is really important because when you actually think about spelling of things, it's actually a spell upon, right? Abracadabra. As I speak, I create, right? I'm, I'm a firm believer that I, I speak my reality. I speak things into reality, right? Our words are incredibly powerful. And so the language that we use, the, the house of language of man or woman is very important. The stories that we tell ourselves are so important because they manifest, right? And I think this is why you find so many congruencies around incredibly hyper successful individuals that are, have high achievement, but then you actually look and that those people who are highly successful, there's a very few that are both successful and fulfilled, right? And that's because of the language that they use. You can pay attention to someone's language and see the difference if someone has achievement or fulfillment in their lives. Well, let's go deeper on that. What, what are the congruencies? Is it just the language they use with themselves internally? And obviously externally after that, what what else is there? I think it's like the relationship that you have with yourself of being able to say the thing, being able to do the things you're saying you're going to do. You can actually understand when someone trusts themselves. It's an energy thing. Self-trust mm-hmm. is the beginning of creation. You can tell when an athlete is doubting themselves. You can tell. Like, they'll miss the mark. They'll miss the field goal. They'll, they'll miss the goal. They'll miss the catch. Yeah. And and you see it in that moment. You're like, oh, no, he fucked it up. Oh, there it is. And you're like, called it. Yeah. But then at the same time, you know with absolute certainty when someone is trusting themselves in a moment. You can see an athlete knowing with full conviction. You're like, yep, he's about to make that. Yeah, we're attracted to the confidence, right? It's the self-trust. Yeah. I wonder if if that self-trust through the society and our environment that we live in is sabotaged. By. It, it, it has to be. Like, imagine everybody trusting themselves. How many people would be employees? Yeah. Right. If everybody trusted themselves, how would you be able to sell the next hottest thing? 
right? And it's okay. Listen, like I'm, I'm, I'm in no way, shape, or form. I think there's a, there's a beauty in having roles in society, right? We are hierarchical society, and that's okay. Nature has it: alpha, beta, gamma, deltas, right? Even the omegas, right? It happens in nature. I think what what ends up happening is like we tend to believe that there is the illusion of separation. We think that humans are separate from nature when in reality we are nature, right? So many times, so many of us try to tell ourselves, oh my God, I can't wait to go to nature. My question is, oh, when was the last time you checked in with yourself? What does that mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Because we're nature. We are nature. We are yeah. fundamentally, we are mammals, right? Dude. That is, you know what? Hold on, hold on, <laughs> because I was just reading this. It's funny that that you brought up nature, um, and I know you you come across it meditations, right? Oh, hundred percent, right? So check this out. Since you brought it up, <laughs> so he said to himself, "Is it? Don't ever forget these things. The nature of the world, my nature, how I relate to the world, what proportion of it I make up." Mm -hmm. that you are part of nature and no one can prevent you from speaking and acting in harmony with it always. I was like, mm, nature, bro. That's it. And I think you hit on something and Marcus hits on something there. And I think it's something that I think our society has actually put a war, a war against. And that's a, there's a war against harmony. Everyone everywhere will tell you you need to live a balanced life you yeah. need a balanced diet you need to create balance you know you can't be too extreme you can't do this you can't do that you got to be more even keel you got to be balanced the most fulfilled loving and kind people in the world that i've ever met are in harmony with themselves not in balance with themselves not in and even keel, they're in harmony with their environment. They're at peace with their environment and with themselves. And you could be a fucking silent serial killer. You know what I mean? You could be the kindest serial killer in the world. You can be fucking the most amazing negotiator in the world. You can be an extreme human being. And as long as you're in harmony with yourself and your environment, you'll be mega successful, right? You see that time and time again. Look at the Tony. You think Tony Robbins lives a balanced life? That man is the most extreme human being that he is, that we we have, right? As an example that I think, but he's in harmony, right? He's in harmony with himself. He's in harmony with his environment because he's a creator. So he creates his environment. And by that action of creation, he creates that harmony. What most people confuse as balance is harmony. Yeah, dude, success does lie in that. You're right. Success lies in the extremities, right? And And then the harmony within it. That's so true. Yeah. Extreme people get extreme results. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just quote you on that one. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty good. All right. So you mentioned you also mentioned journaling. Yeah. Oh man. And I'm a big journal guy. People hate it when I bring up another fucking journal. They're like, another journal, Tristan. So I'm gonna let you talk about journals. <laughs> Let's talk about journals. Tell me about journals. Dude, oh my god. Um I've been journaling now for, I think, over 17 years now. Yeah, I started at 17. So 17 years worth of journals. I actually have yearly reviews. And I can actually go back and actually know 
when or what I've witnessed or lived. I've been like, I've been in this situation before. How did I respond? Oh yeah, that book, that one thing. Yeah, yeah. Give me a sec. Let me show you something. I'll show you something. I'll show you something. Like, I'll just give you an example, right? Like, look how easy that was for me, right? Like, look how yeah. simple that was for me, right? Like, yeah. I have I have a whole shelf of these, actually. Um, and I actually date these in a way that has the dates and oh, the locations. Yeah, I see that. Right? And then you see there's actually, like, bindings and things of that nature that I go back and take notes on. And so I can actually think about or revisit the things that I want to do based on the year. And then I'm like, okay, based on this year, I remember I went through this and then I go back at the end of the year and I write the themes in the front cover. So there's a lot of growth. There's a lot of things, right? Like, you know, here from last year, right? Miami, Jackson, New York city traveling, right? This one says quarantine, Miami townhome, you know, like I can now go back to these moments where I'm like, oh, I've lived that moment again. So journaling for me is prayer. It's not reflection. What's a, well, what's the process for journaling for you? And, and do you use a specific notebook? What, what does this look like? It's imperfect. First and foremost, it's imperfect. I just want to say, what does it look like? It looks like first thing in the morning, first and foremost. Like before I do anything, before I consume anything, I create. Clear mind, beta, beta waves, alpha waves are really up. You know, I check in with myself. At times, I write it as a third person, which is the Holy Spirit or God writing through me. You know what I mean? And just like sometimes I, I go back to a journal. Have you ever gone back to a journal piece and you're like, yo, I wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, that's lit. Yo, like, I'm like, I'm whoa, that's dope. You know? And then the other part is I think journaling is an act of self-love because you can be, you, you'll know when you're lying to yourself. Your handwriting changes. I don't know about you, but I can know a season of stress in my handwriting. I can know when I was fully present, even healed or in harmony with my environment based on my journaling. That's so good, man. Right. So when you start really building this relationship with self, it's an act of self-love. It's prayer in action, right? Journaling is prayer in action. And I firmly believe that some of the greatest human beings have had journals, right? Like you just pulled out Marcus Aurelius. That's his private journal, right? And Frank had a beautiful journal that changed the world. 13 years old, right? Like, holy shit. She was writing some incredible things, right? Steven Spielberg journals, uh, Tony Robbins journals, right? All the presidents have journals. Um, when you think about the most powerful leaders in our society, a lot of them spend time with themselves in the act of self-reflection through journaling, right? And when you write, it's actually refining your thinking, right? It's sharpening that axe, right? That's boom. And then all of a sudden, you can you can just start with like the five-minute journal, right? Like it's a great tool to start with. Um, there's a lot of people who are apprehensive. They think that journaling has to be this like grandiose things. Listen, there's moments where I journal for three hours straight and I write maybe 10, 15 pages, right? And there's been moments where I'm just like, you know what? I only have two sentences today and that's okay. But it's getting the rep. It's the consistency, not the intensity of it. Um, so journaling, I know you probably have the same thing, has been the most profound form of self-care and self-love that I've ever seen and I've ever experienced. Um, it's brought me closer to myself. It's brought me closer to God. And it allows me to really fundamentally refine my thinking, right? 
anytime I have an idea, I journal about it. And I'm an incredible manifester, dude. I'm a manifesting machine. I have to be very, very careful with the things I journal about because they come true. That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. It's really powerful. And look, journaling is a is the cheapest, most most impactful form of therapy. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. <laughs> it's self-love, man. That's what it really is. Yeah, man. It's medicine. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Let's talk about startups because I, I think you have some experience here. A lot of failures, too. A lot of failures. You know what I mean? <laughs> which is which is where the experience comes from. What can you what can you talk about when it comes to startups? So people listening in, we've got solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, right? Got it. And they're thinking like, well, yeah, I want to, I'm in the middle of a startup or I'm thinking of starting a company. What do you look for when you're like partnering with people for startups? If, if you have to partner with somebody, because I feel like that's also the biggest challenge when you're looking at your partner. It's like, am I going to be able to make it through with this guy or this person or this lady? Right. Yeah. And I've had, I've had incredible partnerships and I've also had partnerships where they have blown up. Yeah. Right. So I think, I think I've had the both elements. Look, I think what, one of the things that I look for or no, actually not only look for, I nurture and I show up with now because of the failures is integrity, Mm. honesty, level of intelligence. Like I think self-assessment is really important when people understand their strengths and weaknesses and they're like, Hey, I don't know how to do this. That's not my lane. That's powerful. Right. That's like gives you so much clarity from that. I love the the, right? the that's honest right there. Honesty, right? Honesty, integrity, things like that are character. Like you look for someone's character, not someone's ability. Right. I think that that has been one of the greatest filtering processes that I have been able to. I've also been on the opposite side of that filter. Right. I haven't always been the most honest or most integral co-founder. Right. I've also fucked up, you know, like there's not an issue where I've been always the saint in this in in the partnerships. Right. I've also have caused my fair share of pain, not only in my life, but in the life of others. And I've forgiven myself for that. Right. Um, And in those experiences, you learn not to make those mistakes again. Right. And so and so it's essentially to be actively communicated. So I have five values that I operate from for my for my business and my personal life is one is create value. Number two, create the perception of greater value. What do I mean by that? Someone by themselves can create value. But if you and I sitting at the table can come together and create the perception that greater value can be produced, that's really powerful. Mm. Number three is be honest. Keep things honest. That's not as easy as it sounds, man. It's not as easy as it sounds. A lot. We have a lot of people pleasing people in this society. Right. Number three, number four, actually, is transparent. Be transparent. And there's a difference because I can be transparent and dishonest, and I can be honest and not transparent. That's really the combination of the two are really powerful. Mm. When you you have someone who is both honest and transparent, keep them close. And And finally, follow through. If you have the ability to follow through on the following, Think about it like a hand, right? Individually, you have these fingers, but together you can make a fist, you can hold things on, but they're only held by the ability to follow through, right? If you can create value and create the perception of greater value by maintaining honesty and transparency and taking action, who's going to stop you? That's true, man. I like how you piece that together. 
I like that a lot. So tell me then, when you look at your successes, Mm -hmm. let's take the latest one, right? NFT now. What has been in your power that you've allowed for it to succeed with you? I mean, besides timing and everything, all, all that outside of all of that, right? The things that you could control, what were they that allowed you to succeed with this? You know, when you ask me that question about like your most recent successes, I think NFT now is up there, but I really, I think my marriage has been one of the most successful things I want to highlight here. I think being with my wife, Lindsay, has been an incredibly transformational experience for me. Uh, When I first met her, I didn't know I was worthy of receiving love. And that just helped transform me. And there was a lot of healing and a lot of partnership as medicine, you know, and when, when you think about entrepreneurship, it's really almost insanity, like massed ass progress, right? Like think about the concept of entrepreneurship. Think about the concept. It's really insane, right? Limited resources, limited bandwidth, absolute chaos. And you're here showing up day in and day out. Name a partner who's willing to go through those ups and downs in life, right? Yeah. So that's my, that, I think that most recent success is definitely my marriage. And I think that that's a really powerful one. Well, on that, like why? Why Why have you been successful there? What's the key for you? For me, the key has been communication, man. I think communication and communicating and relating is really important. Um, and checking in with ourselves as we evolve as humans. Right. I'm not the same person today that my wife married three years ago. And my wife is not the same person that she that I married three years ago. Right. Like we have outgrown those versions of ourselves, but we made a commitment to get to know each other and fall in love with each other and relate to each other in that capacity. And so coming back to the sense of home, right? Like if you can prioritize your success at home, then work just makes it's very simple. Right. Because I don't have to think about where my next love is or my if I'm accepted, if I'm welcomed. Right. So if I have a strong marriage, if I have a strong household, then my business is fucking fundamentally going to succeed because then I can bring the same values. So coming back to NFT now in that capacity, I think the most successful thing has been really keeping in line with my co-founders and our team a culture of transparency, of high performance, of doing what we say we were going to do. Right. I think the most it's really hard, believe it or not, a lot of founders and a lot of entrepreneurs cannot follow through on things they said they were going to do. Some call it pivot. Some call it this. Some call it growth stage. Some call it failure. But when you actually look at the ability to follow through and be consistent on that North Star, very few actually make it through. Right. This is why we celebrate entrepreneurship. This is why we put entrepreneurs on the covers of magazines. This is why you the success magazine element, not because it's easy but because it's hard. And so from those elements, I think what's made NFT now successful is like we've been honest with ourselves about the market. We've been honest with ourselves about what needs to be covered, right? There wasn't a publication in the marketplace that was transparent, honest, and objective. So we created it, right? And consistently delivered that value proposition of that. I think our team, it has been incredible. Like no founder can do anything without a team. Like this, a lot of the things that we do in our company are team related and our team wins, right? And when you think about it, the people that you build, the people that you hire are the people who make up your company. That's true. So we've been really great at being able to identify great talent. 
you know, it goes without saying like, yes, of course the founders are here. The founders were the ones that created the idea. We stood it up, we took it on and we forced it to into the market in a way that was welcomed, right? That was nurtured. It was, ne- it was a necessity. It was a breath of fresh air. And so what has really, really, really driven the success of NFT now has been the consistency around our values and our value proposition to the marketplace. Um, and really having a clear North star of bringing NFTs from niche to mainstream and empowering the creators of culture, right? That's very clear and being consistent. How we get there, that's a different story. If all of our stuff, all of our initiatives align with that, our mission and our vision, then we're on the, the we're on the right path, right? And the people that need to be brought on get brought on. This is why our investors have brought on, right? Like it's not easy, man, but it, it took us 15 years to get to this two-year roadmap, yeah. right? I, I like, like, like most people are like, oh man, you guys crushed it. You guys did it overnight. It's like, no, dude, we've like my co-founder, Matt Medved, he's been in media for 16 years. Like I've been in media for 15, right? Like that culmination, my co-founder, Sam, has also been working with Vayner and doing things with creators and, you know, influencers. So like the culmination of it is learning and actually implementing the thing that we see in that vision. Are you guys pretty tight with Vayner? Uh, we, yeah, we are actually. Uh, Gary is actually a uh, one of our investors, he's a really great guy. He's been an incredible uh, mentor, investor, and supporter of NFT Now. Um, and they they do a lot of great work for the industry as well. Shout out to Avery, Nick, the whole crew at Vayner3. They do amazing work. Yeah, they do, man. They do a good job. I love that. All right. What's next, man? What's next for you? Hmm, that's a really wonderful question. Uh, fatherhood is next. I'm being, I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm having my firstborn in May. Uh, his name is Mateo. That's really a really powerful change. Um, what's next for me is to really continue serving other people and, in in the world to help them create freedom and fulfillment in their lives. And really, what's really next for me in a fundamental way is understanding from a pure heart that the circumstances that sometimes I ask God to change are the circumstances that he's using to change me. Yeah, that's that's beautifully said. I think we quit on ourselves too early before with the lesson is learned, man. Yeah, so it's just consistency right now. You know, like I have like, I always tell my friends, my family, everybody, I have crystal clear clarity where I'm going to be in the next 20 years. Like there's just like, I have the faith. Like I have zero doubt, 100% faith. Now, what are my next 90 days going to look like? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I love that. And that's true. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening into this one. Alejandro, where do we follow you? Where do we go to learn that more? Find me on Twitter, Instagram, Alejandro Navia. I'm the guy with the little mushroom uh, on it. Uh, So just follow me. Uh, Reach me. My email is navia at nftnow.com. My DMs are open. Um, give me a shout out on my website, alejandronavia.com, uh, .org, not .com, .org, you know, as I see myself as an organization. Yeah. And just really, I think what, where most people can find me is in not giving up in their lives. Like if you are not giving up in your life, you have found a version of me. I love that, man. I just followed you on Instagram too. So I see, I see our mutual friend, uh, Robert Lucido. Yo, shout out to Rob, man. He is a living legend, dude. He's a living legend. I, I love him so much, man. That 
I got introduced to him because we work out of the same gym and his infusion in my life has been instrumental. He's he's such a he's such a great dude. Good energy, right? Yo, the best energy. Good energy. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it. 